Growing a business is hard, but it does not have to be. Once a week, we take a break from the hustle and bustle in business to talk about innovations and what's new in the C-suite. This is the Fractional C-Suite Retreat, and I'm Joseph Frost. Pull up a seat at the fire, grab a drink, smoke a cigar, and just join me as we relax, learn, and get inspired. This retreat is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow with better marketing strategy. Welcome. I'm excited for today's guest. She is an accomplished and disciplined B2B marketing executive. She has a solid track record of developing and executing growth marketing strategies and has an extensive expertise and experience in managing multinational teams. Welcome to the show. She's one of our own CMOs at Your CMO, Nanda Grandison. Nanda, how are you? I am well, Joe, and thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, it's great. And uh, we were just uh, chatting right before the show about one of your uh, newest clients, which we might get into talking about some of their um, uniquenesses on the show. But uh, let's start by answering the question I like to ask every guest and um, get an opportunity for you to share something that's top of mind for you. But what is one thing that, that you're um, keen on right now or very interested in that you think other C-suite professionals need to know about or be thinking about? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. So what I am keen on now, um, and especially in the current climate, is ensuring that there is a renewed focus on driving growth through retention. Um, you know, and, and having said that, it, it's not an or, our retention versus acquisition. It's an and. Um, but however, I think that as we think about as marketers, our spend and our LTV, especially now, um, you know, it's, it's important to have a focus on the clients that we have inside of our organization, right? And ensuring that we are doing what we can to understand um, what makes them stay, the value that they're getting and how to course correct as appropriate. Yeah. And how much time do you think traditionally marketers spend on retention? Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think in, you know, from my experience, it's because it becomes an issue when we have a high churn and then it's OK, what's going on? Why aren't our clients staying? Let's focus on that, because what we typically focus on is marketing and advertising, right? It, there's this sense of how can we make sure that we're bringing more into the top of the funnel? And when you think about marketing and advertising, um, paid ads, you know, paid social, um, you know, working with a vendor um, to do LinkedIn advertising, and over time that can add up. Um, you know, we're also spending money on you know, when you think about bringing that person in, we have to have a salesperson to vet that lead. We then have to do research to, to get more information so we can follow up with that lead. And even when we're following up with the lead, they may not respond. Um, and then once we bring that client in-house, you know, for some companies, it can take up to five years for us to make back that profit on that client. Um, and so I think that, if we, you know, 
shift that focus. We can still focus on acquisition, but let's look at who do we have in-house? How long have they been staying with us? You know, what is their uh, MPS score? And then it gives us the opportunity to upsell or cross-sell uh, to that existing client. Um, and then if we're dealing with clients who are having issues, right? They've told us that they're not happy with this person or with this service, then it's an opportunity to think about how can we then reinvest in that client. And the piece that I love the most is referrals. Um, you know, most companies that I've worked with have grown through referrals and that referrals is typically organic. So think about if we took a step back and be really thoughtful about how we educate our clients on why referrals are important, how we then create a system and a process in place so there's transparency with clients in making referrals, and then how we appreciate or thank, and I'm using quote, our clients for those referrals. I think that can change the game in not only getting organic referrals, but making sure sure that we have a systematic process around how clients refer and that can increase and that will increase as well. Yeah, I think it's so important to think about it, um, but it's it's retention, but it's oftentimes not a marketer's you know, resp responsibility initially, or it's, it's not thought of as a marketing uh, responsibility. It's more of a customer service or operations but if you put that marketing hat on or that lens on and look at it from, it's not just a service issue. It's a lifetime value of the client issue. It's a loss of potential referral issue. Like yes. All of the marketing related aspects can be easily integrated into the retention conversation. Absolutely. And it's almost more productive, I think, and positive if you look at it from a marketing um, lens instead of just operations or customer service lens. Of course. So I will share that um, I worked for a company um, and they're in the subscription space. And uh, for the executive team, we had an assignment to read a book. And that book is called Retention Point. And what that really means is that retention point is the point where a client becomes emotionally invested in the service that we provide and they become lifers. And lifers can mean anything for any company. It could mean five years, 10 years, 15, 20. But the point is they stay for as long as we want them to stay. And what, what stood out for me in that book is that um, if we then learn what that retention point is, if we become aware of the retention point, so what makes them become emotionally invested in the company, our LTV can increase three to 10 times. And I actually have the book right now. I, have I to just, well, I just, who's the author? Because I just made a note, retention the point. The author is Robert S-K-R-O-B. All right. I will put that on my list and check it out. Absolutely, Joe. It's an amazing like book. I have so many notes, so many to-dos. Um, and, and, as, and as part of that book, one of the things that I learned, so Netflix. Netflix 
Netflix a few years ago published some fascinating data where they showed um, streaming and, and the hooked episode. And essentially what they've shared is that um, after a certain point, 70% of viewers get hooked on that series. And uh, what, what we learned was that um, drama, it takes two to three episodes for them to get hooked. And then comedy, double that. But essentially, once Netflix figured out when at what point a viewer becomes hooked on that series, they have since for sure worked to increase that. I believe I get hooked after the first episode. <laughs> I am like, I have to watch it until it's done, but I digress. But if we as B2B um, companies and B2B marketers think about it from that point, at what point does our clients become hooked? And how do we increase that so that they're hooked sooner rather than later? Yeah, one of the, uh, I wonder, if, to digress with you, I wonder if that's why they drop like three episodes at once sometimes on those shows. So you can binge the first three and now you're hooked and you then they'll drop Absolutely. one at a time. Absolutely. So for instance, I don't know if you watch you, like that is my guilty pleasure and um, <laughs> I've watched two series already. So now we're on the third series and they just dropped three. So after, I mean, you're hooked. So I couldn't wait for two weeks to start watching, you know, the next um, episode. So I think they've learned that after, you know, after the first uh, episode or even the second, you're hooked. So now they want to delay the gratification yeah. and then they stop. They give a two week pause and you get to watch the next episode, which is fascinating, right? Yeah, they're just playing with us. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, and so, you know, as I think about this uh, in terms of, you know, I have a client right now and, um, you know, thinking about when they become hooked, it depends on a few things, right? So when they get onboarded, we need to think about that onboarding experience and making sure that we're being super thoughtful, we're documenting that process, we know who is doing what at each point. And then after the onboarding, how do we ensure that when we're now providing service to that client, we are checking in on a regular basis. I think that checking is important because it is at that point where we learn what that client, the value that client is getting at each point. Yeah, yeah onboarding is such a crucial point. Um, the, uh, the, another thing I had heard about retention in professional services, and it's, it's not easy to do maybe depending on the service you offer. Yes. But if you can get, three touch points or three service points into a client, that's kind of the, the magic. Because if, if you just provide one service, it's really easy for them to you know, replace you. If you have two, it's harder. But when you get three services that they're relying on you for, that's when it's really hard for them to that's right. go away. And you know, ideally you want all those three to be earned individually you know, for all the right merits. Not, not, not that you've got them tied into a knot and they can't escape from you, but um, it's that magic of three service offerings. Have you yeah. run across that in any of your 
experiences absolutely. or readings? Absolutely. I think about um, um, the um, coaching organization that I worked for. And we had multiple services. It starts with the CEO, and then we had a key executive service. We had a um, emerging leader service, yeah. uh, and it runs off the, key, the the CEO because the CEO then puts their key executive in a group, and then they put their emerging leader or rising star in a group. So if you think about that one company, we now are providing services to the CEO, their number two, and then their number three or four. So in that case, there are so deep in the organization and they have multiple people getting value, it's harder for them to leave because they're seeing the value and that's why they're investing, they're having more people invested in the organization. Yeah, that latter point you made where they're seeing the values is also I think an area that's easy to overlook in the uh, professional services area because some, sometimes it's really hard to show value all the time. It's like in our business, particularly in marketing, it's, re it's really hard often to show the value of marketing uh, unless you have some direct response of some sort. Um, a lot of times it's, it's subjectively valued, um, especially as a fractional service provider, you're going in there and you're providing a service, but how do you... Um, institutionalize methods for constantly communicating value to not only your major point of contact, but the whole organization so that you can show your worth on a regular basis, because that's mm -hmm. gonna lead to retention. As soon as somebody doesn't see that value or can't see it because it's not being communicated, it's very easy for them to discount the service. Absolutely, and, and that's a great question. And I think that our model at your CMO allows me as a fractional CMO to provide value at in every department across the organization uh, because we're not only working with the C-suite and helping them solve some of the roadblocks on the challenges they're facing, even if it's outside of marketing, right? We then work with within marketing and the marketing expertise to provide them with a roadmap to make sure that they know what they're doing, that we can um, share the results of what we're doing. And then as we think about within the product space and whether it is with, you know, in a, in a, in a specific vertical, we are working to help them navigate um, the services that they provide and making sure that they're also providing value to their clients in a meaningful way. So I think that as I think about my role as a fractional, it's not putting blinders on and just focused in marketing, it's making sure that we're touching all aspects of the organization and providing value uh, to multiple departments, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say about retention is that you know, we do an exercise in our uh, foundation sessions around client lifetime value with our, with our uh, uh, clients. And when we start to do the math around retention, specifically with um, an increase in percentage of retention rate and how that impacts lifetime value. It's something like, I want to say five to 7% increase in retention doubles the lifetime value of the client. So it doesn't take much when you just, if you can move that needle five to 10%, you can literally double the lifetime value of the client. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just saying, it's just that from a pure ROI to focus a little bit of marketing time to solve that puzzle is going to be worth a lot more than getting five to 10% more at the top of the funnel because you've got all of the, the, the fall through through the funnel funnel to deal with as well. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I think too, I think that that lifetime value starts as soon as that prospect comes into our funnel. You know, it's, it's, it's how we communicate to them uh, before that initial sales call. Um, it's then how we help them understand what the next step in the process are. It's then once they decide to sign that contract, you know, how do we map out or provide them with a roadmap for what's next and, and what's coming? Um, so I recently, uh, with this client, we did some buyer interviews and, um, you know, one of the things that we consistently heard is that these clients want to know, yes, I'm getting value right now and I love working with this particular client, but how can you help me see what's coming down the pike? How do you help me pro- provide visibility in, am I truly taking advantage of all the services that you offer as part of what I'm paying for. So I think this idea of helping clients see what's coming and and what else we can do for them is important in providing value. Yeah, it's something that um, you start crossing over then into the service side with marketing. Okay, now that we have the, the services being had, marketing can still play a part in helping to bring in new or upsells or uh, uh, referrals from yeah. uh, from that from that lens that maybe the traditional servicer isn't thinking about that. Absolutely, absolutely. So you've been um, in marketing for a while, and you've worked for multiple organizations. And um, I'm curious because you've worked remotely uh, and full time for yeah. an organization or more, um, and now you're working remotely and fractional, what do you see as the main difference between a fractional engagement with a client versus a full-time, even though they're both remote? That's a great question. And I've been, I've been thinking about that. I think, um, hmm, that's a, that's a really good question. And you know what, I'm going to answer it differently. I, I actually, I actually don't see a lot of difference. Um, I think that the client gets the same value. Um, we are invested as in the growth of the organization. We are connected across departments um, with the employees. We want to understand the issues um, departmentally and help them solve it. So at this point, I don't see a lot of difference as being a fractional versus a full-time employee because we're bringing the same value as we would as a full-time CMO versus a fractional. Yeah, that's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'll give it to you. (laughs) (laughs) 
give me a bit more time and maybe I'll see a difference. But right now, I, I really don't. I really don't. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, I know I, I was joking. I think that is a, a, a fair answer. Uh, a lot of times when I ask that question for somebody who's kind of newer into the fractional space, they're coming from an in-person kind of full-time engagement. And, and there is a huge difference. But, I, but why I wanted to ask you is because I don't think there's as big of a difference between remote full-time and remote fractional as there is between full-time in-person and remote anything. And I think remote is the, is the real um, interesting way that uh, people are, are having to figure out methods to deliver value remotely, whether it's full-time or fractional. That's the main difference that I think most of us that are new to the fractional space have to overcome. And certainly I think executives that are working remotely now full-time have, have, have the same similar challenges. Like how do you communicate remotely when you're not all in the same room outside of the meetings? Like inside of Zoom, it's pretty, it's pretty similar to being in a conference room, but it's the hallway conversation, the water cool conversations, and the just hopping into your office after work or in between meetings. You don't get that as a, as a remote employee um, or fractional. How have you developed methods to kind of counteract that um, remoteness? Yep, and that's, and that's a good question. So in my previous full-time role, I work remotely. And um, to develop uh, the relationship, you know, that you would in person over the water cooler or in the kitchen while you're getting snacks or even going to the restroom, um, I think it requires, you know, being intentional about communicating and not via email, but calling someone. I love to talk over the phone. I, I like to, I like to do this. I want to see you. And I will just, you know, if I have a question, I am reaching out to someone via Zoom video or or Teams video uh, just to have that conversation. And I think what I like to do is make sure that we get the in-person time. So whether it's a quarterly meeting or an event, or if you know that person lives in close proximity, I wanna make sure that we're spending time in person. And when I was in a full-time remote role, I made sure that that happened. And that's what I'm doing now in the fractional role because that's how you stay top of mind. That's how those casual conversations come up and you get to understand really what's what, what's going on within the organization where there's discontent or even, you know, folks are, are content and are happy within their role. So I think as marketers and as leaders in the marketing space, we have to facilitate those just-in-time connections. Yeah, I, I, uh, I like to say time plus touch equals trust. And when I say touch, it's in-person communication. Uh, or in some cases, a hug if you're a hugger. Um, and I find that in the remote world and the hybrid world is um, without that human touch, like in-person connection, that trust is lowered. You can have, I've, I've known people for over a year and I've never met them in person, but as soon as I meet them in person, exponentially, I have this trust factor go up. Absolutely. Uh, in the fractional space, one of the reasons that URCMO, we decided that we want to do all first uh, meeting kickoffs with clients in person was for that reason. We knew that 
if we're invested in this relationship together, we need to spend a little bit of time in person, at least at the beginning. And if not, it's, you know, quarterly is what our preference is, but sometimes budgets and logistics don't allow for it, but at least the first kickoff in person is, um, is one of the things that we always do. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant because uh, for me and going through that experience, it allowed me to connect with the clients in person. We went out to dinner, um, you know, we shared personal information and now I can say they know me a bit more and I do the same. So then that sets the pace for our working relationship going forward. Yeah. So then how do you extend that to members of the team that you're starting to work with as a fractional, not just the executives who are in that kickoff meeting, but the the rest of the team that you're having to operate on a you know, routine basis with? Is it as important to see them in person or um, some various levels of importance there? You know, um, I think it's, it's, it's more important to see them in person um, because you know, we're coming in as fractional leaders, we're, we're, we're gradually changing the way that they have operated to drive growth for the business and working remote and not being behind the scenes to hear what, whatever the issues are, it's important to build uh, that connection in person. So um, I met my team in person as part of the foundation session. And, you know, I want to make sure that going forward, we have regular cadence, obviously budget permitting, where we're getting that in-person connection. And I can build that relationship with them to understand what's going on and, and to make sure that I'm building that trust so that we can have crucial conversations. Yeah. Now let's get creative for a minute, if you don't mind. What are... Uh, I like to do this from time to time. So this is one of those times. And I can tell already that you love being put on the spot. So I don't mind it. <laughs> Let's build a top 10 list for creative ways to get your team together um, that would be budget conducive. Okay. Right. Um, so you go, we'll go back and forth, one one each until we okay. get to 10. So you can All be right. first. I love it. Um, um, events. So uh, tack on a meeting um, to an event, to a company event or a client event or a conference. Gosh, yeah, that was a good one. That's almost three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is that yeah. for me? Yeah, a company event, a client event, or a conference. That We will count that as three. Okay. All right. Yes. So that's, none, I'll, I'll, no for Joe. None for Joe. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. I'll go for three budget uh, uh, ways to get together. Okay. Um, training. So a, uh, a mutually beneficial training for people in cross-functional teams um, would be an interesting way to get remote people that weren't in the same kind of division or area together. So it could be leadership development versus sales training. Sales training would bring just the sales team. Leadership development might bring everyone. So that would be, um, there's two. Okay. Divisional training and cross-functional training. Okay. All right. All right. That gets us to five. We'll go back to you. I got two. You have three. You can do one now. <laughs> All right. So I think that another budget-friendly way is um, I'll use your example. So let's say you're traveling, you were traveling, you traveled to my 
my city and it it just made sense to connect however we didn't get to connect so i would say if i am traveling to a city that is in close proximity to a team member trying to schedule time to meet them there yeah that's that is a good one it's mm -hmm. definitely a good one um well let's come up with a um uh, well, so a, a company event, but taking it a little bit more specifically to um, an annual uh, holiday party or summer family party is a great way to uh, spend some money that's um, for team building that can grab a, a large amount of people. So it could be incrementally less expensive and picking a central destination where multiple people come to. Um, that, that would be a good one. Okay. So now we are at seven. We need three more. Yes. Huh. Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to get a little crazy now. So let's say I'm traveling and I have a connection in a city for several hours. I think that would be a good time to maybe connect with someone over coffee. Is that yeah. a stretch? That's a stretch, but we'll give it to you. Uh, I got one more. A, uh, a healthy event, like a marathon, half marathon, triathlon, some sort of uh, you know, ad adventure outdoor event where it would appeal to people that were personally interested in doing some sort of healthy motivated activity that then would get them to a destination that would bring multiple people that might also be involved in that to the same place. Okay. All right. That's a little bit of a stretch, Joe. It doesn't happen often, but I'll give it to you. <laughs> I'm doing a half marathon right now in Lincoln, Nebraska. And okay. I have one person from the Netherlands that's flying in because he wants to participate also. Oh. All right. So it, it does happen. Great example. Okay. All right. So one more. We have one more. One more. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a tough one, Joe. Help me out. Um, lean on your vendors or strategic partners to host an event for your team that would benefit them from getting people to show up and learn more about their service or offering um, to share in the costs. That is a good one. Okay. All right. So we're at 10. Who's the winner here? We got 10. There's no winner. We just, uh, the winner is the listener. Our listener is the winner. No, I'm competitive. So I'm always. <laughs> okay. Then you can do the bonus one. You can do the bonus winner one. I don't know. I, don't, I, I, um, I, I think we came up with 10 great ways um, to connect. Um, so this is going to be a little different. I think this is a virtual connection, but it works. So in my prior role, we celebrated birthdays and we would order food for everyone and meet on Zoom for an hour and just kick back talk it up, laugh. And I think that is also an inexpensive way to connect, not in person, but virtually and, and, and build some connections. So I'll, I'll use that one. Yeah, I like that. I, I heard somebody the other day said they have monthly um, all team dinners remotely. So they send a virtual um, 
or not virtual, but in some sort of Uber dining certificate to everybody, buy something, show up at six, eat your food online, virtually, we're just going to have dinner together. And uh, they do that once a month as, a, as an organization. I thought that was pretty interesting too. Mm-hmm. Okay, there you go. Yeah. That wasn't bad. No, that wasn't bad at all. So uh, what do you like to do for fun, Nanda? Okay. Outside of work. Sure. So um, eight years ago, I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. And um, I wasn't very athletic. But when I got here and I saw, you know, everyone was outside running, half naked too. But I saw that and I was like, wait a minute, I got to do something. So I started working out and I fell in love with hiking Joe, who would have thought a city girl, I know, love to go out. I find new trails all across Southern California. um, And I hike with my girlfriends. And it's one of the best feeling ever to be out in nature, to breathe in that air, to connect with nature. It just feels absolutely amazing. So I love, love, love hiking. The weather hasn't been good recently because it's been raining, but I'm looking forward to the sun coming out and staying out so I can get out again. I love that. Yeah. Have you gone to some interesting hikes outside of California? No, I haven't done that yet. So that would be my next step is to start venturing out. Maybe not even outside of California. I haven't been to Northern California. Um, I haven't been to some other places that is on my bucket list. But right now, I'm still focused in Southern California. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful place to be and hike for sure. Maybe we could reach out to Stacy in Colorado and have her host a Your CMO hiking event there to get some of us CMOs together that are all in disparate locations. That, that would be awesome. I would be there for sure. I would be there. I think that would be really nice. There's, um, there's a thing in, in Colorado where you hike a 14er. You know what that is? No. The so 14er is a 14,000 foot peak. And that is, uh, there's, I don't remember the number. I want to say there's like 30 or 40 in Colorado mountains that you can hike that are 14ers. And some are easier than others. And and some you can almost get dropped off at. (laughs) So only a couple, but um, to do that, if you have a bucket list, if you're a hiker, putting a 14K on your bucket list is a a certain must do. And we could we could make that uh, quite an event. We could have a lot of fun getting some people together to do that over a weekend. I'm sure we'd get some takers. Yeah, I'm I'm in. I've never done that before, but hey, I'm in. And if we can take it slow and socialize as we do it, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I think that'd be great. We could even invite some clients, make a, a big mm-hmm. shit out of it. There you go. I like that. Yeah. Um, I had a great hiking experience in um, Switzerland. We went two years ago. There were nine of us, um, and we one guy had put the whole trip together. He found this mountain range um, and this particular trail called the Hardergrat. And uh, the Hardergrat is a 14-mile um, route with about a 6,000-foot climb. And uh, the first 4,000 feet of that climb is in the, in the first four miles. So it's a really steep initial climb. And then it's like nine miles of um, 
just kind of up and down ridge climbing and hiking. Uh, it doesn't get extremely technical, like you're not roping up and, and you know, you putting on your climbing boots or anything, but there's some very dangerous narrow stretches where it's big drops on both sides of the, of the ridge line. And when I heard about it, the, the invite I got was, hey, how would you like to go hiking in Switzerland with some friends? We're going to go from town to town to town. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. And then it's three months into it, it's this harder grot. I, I Googled it. And if you Google it, it says like one of the hardest climbs in the world <laughs> or most dangerous, not hardest. Did you complete it, Joe? Well, kind of. So when we started training for it, we realized that um, it's, it's a pretty exhausting climb to go all 14 miles you have to do it in one day and you have to be done by 5 p.m because that's the last train down so when we backtracked you had to leave at like 3 a.m and it's about a you know 15 16 hour hike to get there so what ended up happening is about two weeks before the hike and the trip a few of us realized that we weren't up for that um, we hadn't trained hard enough. We just weren't ready. So we came up with an alternate route and we call it the softer grot. And so the softer grot, we realized you can take the train up and start at the end. And then we could walk across and meet the other team in the middle and then turn around and walk back. Okay. So that's what we set out to do. So five of us were going the softer grot way and four end up going the harder grot way. The softer grot team started with breakfast and coffee and eggs and you know had a nice leisurely stroll to the love center, grabbed a cab, got on the train, went up the mountain. It was beautiful. It was spectacular, stunning. Um, and that was like six hours after the other group had woken up and started with headlamps and uh, you know bundled up with you know all the water they could carry for the next 16 hours so about the time we ended up the end to start they were already up the the major part of the climb so we started walking to meet each other and it was scary now that there were um, literally uh, crosses along the route where people had fall, fallen off and died like it was not a easy uh, hike that we thought it would be um, it was comfortable most of the way, but there were just small stretches where you were on your hands and knees, just hoping you could you know, get by without you know, getting I too know. scared. I don't know what I would do in that case, if I would want to turn back or. Yeah. We had one guy with our group and he's like, guys, I just don't want to keep going. Uh, I'm going to go down. And you could kind of, you could see how you could go down and switch back your way across the 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 one side so we all end up going down with him okay. and as we go down we're going down this these this beautiful countryside in, in switzerland that you've seen like the, all the sprawling landscape pictures and videos and films and movies and then they had all these cows that had these cowbells that were just ding 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 ding, ding the whole time it felt like you were sure the sound of music yes it was so so much fun um what a great experience so we got down and then we started getting updates from the rest of the team. Only two of the original team members made it all the way and down the mountain that day. The other two uh, of the five ended up not 
getting all the way, but they didn't get there in time. So they had to spend the night at the top of the mountain. And then one of the guys had to come down early with another group of, of hikers because he just couldn't make it across. And we found him back at the hotel when we got there. So oh, uh, it was quite the experience, but uh, well, that was- again, And it sounds like you'd have to train for yeah. months, if not years to, to, to complete it. I would do it again. And I would do it again and train for it. And I would, I would, I would do the heart of God because it's doable. Be, you just have to train for it. Like, like you would for a marathon kind of that level of training. You gotta think about it. You get out there, you gotta put a pack on, you gotta just go, go, go. Um, otherwise it's just not doable. Yeah. And do you hike now um, at home or in your area? I know it's too cold. Yeah, not much. That was, um, that was kind of a, a unique opportunity. And so we don't have, and we have roads in Omaha, but we don't have trails around here like you do. It's not as exciting to hike around here. Well, whenever you come to Southern California, let me know. We can go on a small trail, right? Yeah, we'll definitely have to get that in the works soon. I always enjoy going to San Diego. But last time I was there, as you mentioned, the weather hasn't been great. It, it hailed on me. I, I didn't think it was possible to hail in San Diego. Oh, yeah, it's it's been quite crazy here. I hope we have passed the worst and it's now sunny days. We'll see. Yeah. Well, it's been fun to uh, to chat with you, Nanda. If anybody wants to reach out to you and, and talk about um, top 10 lists and competition or marketing, what's the best reason or best way for them to connect with you? Absolutely. So the best way to connect with me would be on LinkedIn um, at Nanda Grandison. Um, alternatively, you can email me at nanda at yourcmo.com. And Joe, thank you so much for having me. I have enjoyed our conversation um, and I'm just looking forward to connecting more. Yeah. And thank you. And I'm super excited for a hiking trip to Colorado Yes, uh, and in San Diego. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if and if we have plans, what well, we can try to share it in the show notes. Maybe some of our listeners could come visit us, as long as they're not stalkers. Um, to the, to all of our listeners out there, I'm assuming that you're not stalkers. Thanks for being here. Uh, my producers say make sure to to like the podcast and uh, subscribe and whatever you're supposed to do to make the numbers look better. But we appreciate you listening. Uh, and feel free to reach out to Nanda or me if you've got any questions or anything we said prompted you. But thanks for being here. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. There's another successful episode of the Fractional C-Suite Retreat. See our show notes and more episodes at fractionalcsuiteretreat.com. This podcast is sponsored by Your CMO, helping organizations grow, save time and money with better marketing strategy and fractional execution. Visit them at yorcmo.com yourcmo.com. Spelled wrong on purpose.